1: Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous
2: story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill.
1: FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
0: Fish Stripes Unfiltered, episode 11, the start of the NL East roundtable, beginning it off with the Philadelphia Phillies. But before we get with our special guest today, Isaac, my man, how are you? Congrats on winning Jeopardy! I wasn't there, but I, I got to mention it on the pod. Fish Stripes Jeopardy, congrats! Thank uh, you, man. wasn't against with Danny Alvarez, but I, I no, know you, you know what the, the only reason, was,
3: reason I won. The only reason I won was because you weren't there. So I'm uh, going to have a much tougher competition next week for sure. But, you know, happy to do this again every every two weeks.
0: So today we have a very special guest, Alex Carr, SB Nation guy. He's doing his own thing on Twitter as well. You can follow him on at Alex Carr MLB.
2: Alex, my man, how are you? What's
1: going hey, on, you guys? Man.
2: Yeah, me too. I'm really, really pumped to be here. Um, that little Danny Alvarez drop. Oh, my gosh. That guy. Love him as well. Um, so I'm really, I'm just so psyched to be here. It's always so fun interacting with, especially folks on the Marlins side. I feel like you guys have a little bit of a uh, Philadelphia pain in you uh, from these last few years. So uh, yeah. I definitely think we can, we can, uh, you know, see each other eye to eye on that one. But I really, I always, always enjoy doing some Marlins stuff. So I'm really, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yep. And as usual, you could follow us on YouTube. You could also subscribe to oh well subscribe on YouTube. You could also follow us on Apple Pod, Spotify, wherever you really listen to your podcast, and we could get right away with it. The 2021 season for the Philadelphia Phillies was extremely different from the Miami Marlins season. They ended with a positive record, I think it was 80 to an 80. Uh what? overall, good season for the Phillies. They did have the MVP of the NL East um, of the NL, Bryce Harper. Um, you know, like, recap us the the, the the season, Alex. What
2: were your thoughts yeah. on that? And- positives and negatives i mean uh when you have the cy young runner-up and the nl mvp uh you kind of expect a little bit better than 82 and 80 but uh here we are uh it was you know same as usual uh just a really some promise showing throughout the season there were some some big ups and some big downs um but primarily you know it was the the september collapse that came to came to bite them and lost them a playoff spot once more um but it i mean from the periphery, it was a really, really great season. Um, you know, obviously Bryce did his thing and kind of shut everybody up, which was awesome. Uh, he is just he is absolutely uh on fire right now. I mean, just from this from the end of uh the 2020 season heading into 2021, he just if it weren't for that pitch to the face, I mean who's who's to say what we would have seen out of that man? And then Zach Wheeler, of course, following up an amazing 2020 with an amazing twenty-one. I just don't know what there is to say about him anymore. You've seen the comparisons between him and Jacob deGrom. It's kind of uncanny. So, um, you know, hopefully he will age just as fine uh, as one Jacob deGrom. But, I mean, already you see these these first few years of the contract come through. And you kind of, you know, you kind of are excited uh, just about what you've gotten from someone like Zach Wheeler already. Same can be said about Bryce Harper. As for everything else, I mean the emergence of Ranger Suarez, that was a big thing. Yeah. Um I really really adored seeing Ranger, you know, fill in multiple roles really in a in a really extensive capacity, but he I mean he everywhere you put him, he was fantastic. Bullpen, he nailed closer, he locked down for a little bit until they bumped him to the rotation where he had, you know, he didn't allow more than 4 runs in any one of his starts. He was he was absolutely Excellent. Uh, I mean, the one point, what was it? 1.51 ERA kind of speaks for it. No, maybe it was lower than that. I, I can't remember. It feels like an age ago at this point, but um, you know, it just absolutely fantastic from the pitching staff uh, outside of Aaron Nola, who uh, unfortunately uh, had, had a, had a rather uh, out of character year for him. And we've seen this before with him. We saw it in 2019 where, you know, they changed uh, something about the baseball, uh, the, the physical baseball itself. Um, and he has a hard time finding his sinker when that's going on. So, you know, that two-seamer that he always throws, that's his bread and butter, barely throws it uh, in, in 2021. So obviously you can tell something's off, but what's really interesting is that, you know, from, again, from from the peripheral numbers that you see, uh, every metric predicts that Aaron Nola is going to be just fine. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you look at any expected metric uh, and you see that that he's going to return to normalcy at some point. So, that's a li- uh, at least a little bit of a bright spot for him. Uh, Zach Eflin was great till uh, he was injured, uh, definitely showing that he's got that middle of the rotation capability. Kyle Gibson <laughs> was not as good uh, as I think some people were expecting him to be, um, but that's kind of expected when you have the worst defense in the National League uh, and you have one of the heaviest ground ball rate pitchers in all of baseball. I think you'll probably see a little bit of improvement on both of those things uh, heading into – the uh the 2022 season as for the bullpen it was as all Phillies bullpens are uh you know it just it was what it was when you have ian kennedy closing games for you in the second half of the (laughs) season it's just not what you want to see um but it you know it was actually it wasn't that awful it wasn't as bad as 2020 uh it, it wasn't prolifically terrible um but it it was uh it was not great uh, and right now, actually, as we speak, there are only four major league members of the Phillies bullpen. If you set aside Sir Anthony Dominguez, who is coming off of Tommy John surgery, um, his second, I might add. Um, but, you know, it, there's only four members of this Phillies bullpen that are still Philadelphia Phillies. So it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, how they combat that when the when slash if the lockout ends. Uh, but as far as everything else, offense was was Pretty good. Uh, J.T. Realmuto saw a little bit of a downtick, but yeah. Reese Hoskins was amazing uh, until he was hurt. He was fantastic, actually, uh, proving you know he definitely belongs up there with some of the, the the best first baseman in baseball for sure. At least offensively, defensively, we'll talk about it. But um, you know, then you look at somebody like Bryce. Um, you look at some of their prospects. I mean, Matt Vierling is is on the cusp of something here. He's yeah. got one of the best hard hit rates in the last two months of of, of the year, so he was. He was pretty awesome. Uh, you were hoping that he can kind of start lifting the ball a little bit more. Same to be said for somebody like Alec Boehm, um, who they desperately need to uh, find a position and stick there. Um, but outside of that, you know, the only real downsides were, you know, Didi Gregorius, who is, you you could have asked anybody, you know, not exactly a peripheral wizard, um, kind of just depends on a pull-heavy park. Um, and even that couldn't save him this year. Um and another bright spot in Gene Segura. I mean, one of the best gloves in in, in yeah. the National League. So lots of bright spots, lots of not-so-bright spots. But all in all, I was relatively happy with the individual performance uh, of the Phillies. I do think they could use some some chemistry help um, now that Andrew McCutcheon and Hector Neris have, have moved on. Um, and I also think uh, – I'll just get it out of the way early. I think they could do with a change in manager, but, you know – uh, it is what it is. He's still he's gonna be here, so there's nothing I can do to stop it. I just gotta grit and bear it. But that's wow. that's as as about as good as you can sum it up.
3: Yeah, I mean, wow, what a great job in describing the entire Philadelphia Phillies 2021 season, man. I I know more that in the last five minutes than I did in the entire 62 <laughs> well, games. Thank
2: you, man. Appreciate uh,
3: it. But one guy I did want to ask you about. Well, first, I want to talk about the bullpen with you because that 2020 bullpen. Ooh. Wow, man the marlins were huge benefactors of that awfully constructed bullpen that's what i remember clearly and so like, yeah you guys it was it wasn't fantastic this year but definitely an improvement i think you know with Canable, you guys are gonna get a little bit better but one name i wanted to ask you about is alec bone sir alec in that 2020 season was phenomenal i thought he was gonna be a star right away i think he's gonna be top five third baseman in the national league i could not believe how good he was just coming straight out and performing the way he did obviously did not play as well this year what did you see from him and why do you think he struggled as much as he did
2: so what's interesting is that you know you look at Alex expected stats and they actually don't look that bad um you know Mm -hmm. it it, you look at his expected batting averages his his ex slug things like that they Mm -hmm. don't look that bad and you know I'm gonna tell you straight out bouncing him back and forth yeah uh, you know minors major leagues they've made this mistake before they continue to make it um you know not a good idea just let let especially when when they sent him down at the end of the season, he was actually hitting quite well. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he was on like a, I think it was a 20-some game streak where he was, he was hitting over 300 for, the, for those 20 games. And, you know, I don't use batting average as a telltale metric or anything, but I'm not going to send a hitter down when he's finally seeming to figure something out. Um, what we do know, though, is that, you know, sophomore slumps are a real thing. We've seen it yeah. with guys like Austin Riley, um, you know, of the Braves. Had a terrible, terrible sophomore season. Came back this year. I mean, just absolutely... Oh, my God. Wow. They just pulled up... They pulled up the tweet. There it is. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, you see somebody... You see somebody like Austin Riley come back and have, you know... I'm not going to say it was a top 10 MVP campaign. But, you know, he was in the discussion. At the very least, Braves fans thought he should have been. I mean, and and he had a great season. An absolutely Mm -hmm. fantastic season. Got better defensively, too. So, I mean, you have to you kind of have to go through these things, these slumps, um, especially nowadays when adjusting to the major leagues is so much harder um, than it ever has been before. I mean, so many more guys are focusing on spin rate, spin efficiency, velocity. I mean, you, it's really hard to be a major league baseball player these days. Um, so especially when you're Alec Bohm and you're somebody who uses an all-fields approach, uh, you know, there were, in the start of the season, I, I went to go see, you know, a lot of him in person. Uh, and at the start of the season, he was just hitting everything the other way, everything the other way, right into some fielder's glove. I was at the Cardinals game, uh, the Cardinals versus Phillies game. It was like the 12th game of the season, something like that. Tommy Edmond made an incredible diving play to oh, rob nice. Alec Boehm of extra bases and then made a standard, you know, but shifted play to rob him of another double. And, and you know, these are down the right field line. So Oof. he he knows how to hit in all directions. He just has to learn – a little bit more of that—that that pull happy side of things, where when he gets a pitch in his zone, he's got to swat that. Like he has got to make something of that. Um, and same can be said for you know just lifting the baseball. He just has to learn to to not bash it on the ground so often. And Matt Vierling is also tied to that. Um, now Matt Vierling, we've seen a lot less of, but he impressed enough people last year that now you know Baseball America prospectus. Um, MLB.com, I'm sure, they have him among their top five, top ten uh, prospects in the organization, which for somebody who was unranked prior to the season says a lot. Um, but, you know, he's always been a favorite of mine. I'm very excited that he's finally getting some recognition. Uh, he really hits baseballs hard. So I'm very excited for both of those guys this year, especially teaming up with Kevin Long, who, you know, obviously turned Kyle Schwarber into the monster that he became with the Washington Nationals. So that's very exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at the season, it was a lot of ups and downs. And, I mean, before we get into Isaac's question here, what were your thoughts on the Marlins season? I, we, we've already covered this, but I want to see your side from a Phillies perspective. What were your thoughts on what you guys called at the time the bottom feeders? Uh, <laughs> okay, you, know, you can't lump us now. all in there. You can't yeah, lump yeah. us all
2: in there. I've never been in that camp. You can ask Eli. I, no, truly, I truly, truly, truly so I believe I'm one of those people who has the opinion that the Marlins are the team to be worried about in the NL East. I do. I do believe that. And I'm not just saying that because this is a fish stripes podcast. I don't even believe like that. that. I know. So listen, <laughs> there are very, there are very few teams in major league baseball that have the pitching depth that the yeah. Miami Marlins do. Not only that, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking, minor, I pay a lot of attention to the Marlins minor league system. Don't you even, don't even get me started. So, um, you know, I know about this depth, right? So, we look at the Marlins, and you kind of have to—you kind of have to gawk at the amount of just prospect bulk they've managed to acquire and manage to develop. Um, I mean, even someone like Jake Eder, right? Like, comes out of seemingly nowhere and just starts succeeding. So it's—it's it's really interesting to watch. And you know, the Marlins are among the teams like you know, the Cleveland Indians, the Milwaukee Brewers. They are those guys that. Develop pitching nonstop. It's always it's something they're known for. So, you know, I look at this team and I look at the the amount of resources they have to play with in trades. I look at, you know, the the pipeline of pitching that they have. That even if some of these starting pitchers don't succeed, think about what they'd be able to do out of the bullpen. Think about Sixto Sanchez in your major league bullpen. Are you kidding me? Like that is just unfair. So you you have to think about these things, you know, in the future. You're not just looking at what's in front of you in 2022. You have to look at down the line, and if the Marlins can somehow assemble some semblance of an offense, that's terrifying. The amount of post-season uh, or or even like end of season arms that they have to play with, fresh guys that they can just pull from the minors and say, "Okay, Eliezer, you're up," or "Okay, Sixto, you're up," or like anything like that. Like they can just do that out of nowhere. It's it's absolutely wild, and I think that gives them longevity. As well as the ability to make some huge push at a trade deadline and just automatically become scary. So, if they can assemble some semblance of an offense, which they've already they're on their way with Joey Wendell and uh, 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 Garcia. yeah, obviously, Garcia, thank you. Um, and perhaps even more, who knows? Um, but if they can assemble some semblance of offense, I mean, they're a threat, they're definitely a threat. I would go as far as to say almost. Every team in the National League East has some threatening quality to them. Uh, the Nationals may be being excluded, but when you have Juan yes. Soto on your team, what does it matter? He can win you the game outright. So it, it's a lot of people like to laugh about the NL East being, you know, this juggernaut turned like you know child's ball pit. But I think it's mostly because these teams really level each other out. They're they're all good. They're all they're all threatening.
3: Yeah yeah no i couldn't agree with you more about the pitching you know i mentioned this on a podcast yesterday you know you have the three-headed monster with sandy pablo and trevor and then you have to choose between six so like you mentioned luzardo edward yeah. cabrera and you got max meyer waiting in the wings and further behind them you have yuri perez you're just on insane amount of pitching death yeah. but something i do want to ask you you mentioned him sixo sanchez we're now in year three since that trade i want to get your perspective at the time of the trade it was you know will stewart alfaro and Sixo for your all-star catcher real muto I think the success of that trade for you guys was dependent on Real Muto signing or not. He ended up signing. So I think you guys got the win. Miami sort of got a worst case scenario with the injury history. They knew that going in. 6 completely lost the 2021 season, shoulder surgery. So I want to know your opinion. At the time of the trade, you know, you're losing. I want to start with Alfaro. Alfaro was coming off a pretty decent season with you guys. You know, he hit 260. He had some power. He was striking out an insane amount, but he was still like an okay catcher. What were your thoughts on losing Alfaro? Obviously, you're getting an upgrade in Real Muto, no doubt. But did any part of you think, oh, crap, like Alfaro may be good? Because obviously we know how that turned out thus far.
2: Yeah, I love Jorge Alfaro. I was actually – I was kind of hoping that after he was non-tendered, uh, the Phillies might look into him. Uh, instead, they went the, the trade route and they, they went for uh, for Garrett Stubbs and Donnie Sands, which I'm also happy about that. Um, but, I mean, I – Really, I loved Alfaro at the time. I mean, obviously, when when somebody hits the ball that hard and yeah. has the arm cannon that he does, um you know, the only question then becomes his ability to really turn around the defense um because that's what keeps him from being positionless. And unfortunately, I don't think that really came uh, came around, which which is kind of upsetting to me because I love Jorge. I mean, he is such a good dude, and he is yeah. so much fun to watch play baseball. Yeah. He's so funny. I mean, he's just he's a character. He really is. Um, so I, I really, I loved watching him play and I, yeah, there it is. I, I really, I honestly miss him. Um, but you know, he definitely was a risky, uh, guy to take on. Uh, and you could say the same about Will Stewart, a guy that was really liked from the wings, but wasn't exactly, um, you know, at the forefront of the discussion, right? The real forefront of the discussion was Sixto Sanchez. Now, what you really have to look about when you evaluate this trade is the, the position that the Phillies were in, which was they were pretty much shopping Sixto Sanchez. That is that is what they were doing. Uh, they were just trying to see what the best value they could get for him was. Um, and it was it came down between Edwin Diaz and JT Real Muto. Um, they did good. Now, obviously, <laughs> yeah. one of those players is definitely better than the other. Um, but I think that, first of all, I'm glad they didn't pull the trigger on the Diaz thing. And I'm glad the Mets kind of went above and beyond and did pull the trigger on it. Um, but also, I think that it's, it's really fascinating when you look back on it because now the, with the knowledge that I have, at least as somebody who, you know, has been lucky enough to talk to, uh, some folks about, uh, the, the, the time of the trade, a lot of concerns were going into Sixto, not only his, you know, his health, his long-term health, but also things that related to, you know, his work ethic and his, you know, these things surrounding, um, more than just his ability to stay healthy um, and the ability to keep himself healthy. Um, so looking back on it, I, I really do think they were actually kind of wise for, for pulling the trigger when they did uh, on trading Sixto. That being said, boy, could they use somebody like Sixto right now. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. That's the nature of, of pulling off a trade. Um, but I, I do think, I think it's a little premature still. I mean, we're three years into it, right? And it's still kind of premature to say that one side has won and the other hasn't. I mean, sure, Sixto is uh, losing seasons every now and again, but um, I do think that overall the potential there is is so worth, um, you know, what what they gave up, uh, especially given what their window was at the time. But mm-hmm. for the Phillies, I think it is really it's, – it's great that they were able to lock up JT and that they were able to get their catcher. Uh, that being said, they kind of unexpectedly turned into a catching pipeline. So uh, it's – it's it's a little here and there, but uh, I think both sides are happy. I think that is ultimately the uh, that's ultimately the the end end all be all of it.
0: Yeah, I would agree with most of it. I mean, at the beginning, it really looked like the Marlins found the guy in Jorge Faro, and that twenty nineteen season, he impressed me. And man, and then Sixto comes up in twenty twenty, is a huge piece for the Marlins. In that twenty twenty season comes up, pitches in a postseason game. Uh, wins it for Miami, then go. Oh I mean, man, he did pitch he so in good. the he pitched in the Atlanta series. wasn't oh, he was okay. Uh, and then after that, I mean, we Will Store we still wait to see. But right now, um, we'll see what happens with this trade. I think we can give him maybe two more years. Maybe hopefully, hopefully six still comes up in 2021 in the 2022 season and makes a uh, at least 10 to 15 starts would be the goal, at least in my opinion. But like going back to the Phillies, uh, pre lockout, it was the hot stove. Miami needed bullpen. The Phillies took a guy that I think me, I wanted, Isaac wanted, even Eli wanted probably, who was Corey Knable. Yes, sir. Uh, talk to me about this guy, Corey Knable, and how does he help a a bullpen that is in need of, of, of pitchers because we saw it in 2020 and 2021. That bullpen was not too good. So talk to us a little bit about Corey Knable here.
2: Yeah. So I actually – I love this move. Uh, I think that this was – this yeah. was like at – at, if I had a top of the list kind of thing, uh, you know, obviously there are some some guys that I would love to see them go after. Carlos Correa, sure. Uh, you know, somebody like Chris Bryant, why not? Or Trevor Story, whatever. But realistically, this was right at the top of my list. I mean, Corey Canable is a guy that we saw be an absolute fearsome closer in Milwaukee. Um, you know, then obviously faced the injury bug for a little bit, came back with the Dodgers, found something. I mean, from every periphery, Corey Knebel looks like he has refound his stuff. He has refound his groove. He's got it. Right. So um, this is really exciting to me because not only I, I would have definitely preferred a longer term deal, but not only are the Phillies going to be able to, you know, slot him right into the closer role again, hopefully it works out. Um, obviously from what we've seen, I'm pretty convinced, uh, but that was only 29 innings worth uh, of pitching in, in, in 2021. So, you know, there is a little bit of nerve there uh, with his injury history and with, you know, his control history, his command history. Um, hopefully, both can stay intact uh, as we head into the 2022 season. But what mostly I love about this deal is that, uh, though I would prefer, you know, maybe a two-year, or three-year at a lower AAV, the Phillies, should it still exist, are going to be able to offer him the qualifying offer if he is, you know, any semblance of the guy that he used to be. Um, and if they give him... That then, you know, obviously he'll probably move on because he's going to be 30. He's going to, you know, want to go elsewhere and uh, explore multi year deals. The Phillies get a pick from that. And what they need right now is to rebuild that farm system. Yep. Again, that's barring that the qualifying offer still exists after CBA negotiations, et cetera. But having the ability to just, you know, slap a one year, $17.8 million deal deal in front of him and just say, hey, you want to come back next year? If not, it's a win for us either way. So, like, that's exciting to me. That, this is the kind of deal that they so rarely make. They don't make the value play um, on those, you know, risky one-year deals, right? There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I mean, if he can be any semblance of the pitcher that he once was, um, or that he was even in 2021, he was fantastic, unhittable uh, even, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with, uh, with that. If he can even give you, you know, 30 or some saves, that's amazing. So they've never had a guy like this for quite some time since Ken Giles. So thank God. <laughs> at least they did something. At least they did something.
0: Yeah, you look back at how one-year deals have worked for players like a Josh Donaldson's one-year deal and then look at Ozuna's one-year deal at the time with the Braves. It's worked out pretty well. Maybe it's to see McKennable. This is definitely a guy I think us Marlins fans wanted. It, it comes into the money. when When it comes to money, it works perfectly for us, although they've been spending this year, which is – surprising nothing to say the least but the other guy i want you to talk to us about is johan camargo who who also signed with the phillies if you want to go into him a little bit
2: yes sir i think i and again i'm enthusiastic right like i'm i'm gonna get excited over pretty much anything but this is a one of those kind of on the margins deals that actually i'm pretty pretty satisfied with um camargo is is and always will be a defense first kind of guy right but we've seen you know versions of him where he's come out and done a lot with the bat, too. I think it was like 2018 with the Braves, maybe 2017. Um, he came out over a full season and really, he impressed. And not to mention the, the great defense on the left side of the infield, which is what the Phillies are really play, uh, paying for here. So I'm assuming this kind of displaces Ronald Torres. Um, but, you know, what I think they see in, in Johan Camargo is you know a pretty decent bat, um, obviously, that is going to be able to come off the bench and, and hopefully do something. Um, but then also, I think they see a guy that has plus defense at third base. No doubt, that is a good glove over there, and that is something that they need just in case Alec Bohm falters over there even more. Now he's in Clearwater working on third base every single day, so you got to hope beyond hope that he he can figure something out. Uh, I would prefer that they put him in left field. That's beside the point because they're not going to do it. So uh, it is what it is. But they're they're going to try and force him to work at third base. If that doesn't happen. Having a guy, a defensive replacement over at third base that can give you a little bit off the bench bat-wise and cover shortstop is a big deal. That fills a lot of holes for the Phillies, and at $1.4 million, I mean, that's probably better value than you're going to get from somebody like, I don't know, even though I love Freddie Galvis, he's probably a better defender than Freddie Galvis. He's younger than Freddie Galvis, and he probably carries a little bit more impact in that bat. So I'm definitely excited about it. Uh, In terms of like value to performance ratio i think they did as about as well as they could here for a bench piece so i'm excited about that
3: yeah i couldn't agree more he was, yeah well torres too he was sort of a thorn in the marlin's shoe the last couple of years <laughs> man but he really was a i don't know bench. how
2: he did it i, I don't yeah, know how he neither, did it i <laughs> <laughs>
3: just sprayed line drives like it was you know his job which At it it is
2: city but, and like yeah. more home runs than he ever has hit before so yeah that's Pretty right. Insane. Pretty yeah.
3: insane. Well, the next thing I want to ask you about, like the main question is you know, I've always been a believer that, you know, what Philadelphia, obviously their major league team is, you know, they're there. But with the way I see it, the, a rebuild might be imminent with you guys. You know, the farm system is not where it needs to be. Obviously, you guys gave so much money to Real Mute at the Harper. So that's probably the last thing uh, Dombrowski wants to do. But it just seems like they're going to have to you know, replenish that system at some point. You guys went with Andrew Painter in 13th overall. I love that pick. I I personally wanted Miami to go with him. I didn't know that Khalil was going to be available, so I wanted Painter. I want your thoughts on one. Yeah, no, I wanted you. I want your thoughts on that draft pick on the first round pick, and just your thoughts on maybe if you know if things don't don't go well for Philly this year, do you possibly see maybe not a full teardown of a rebuild? Obviously, you're not going to trade Harper, but maybe some sort of a of a little build back to go for 2023 or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think that that was kind of. Um... That was expressed by Dave Dombrowski when he took over. Um, He kind of understood that, uh, you know, this team obviously does not have the depth that a lot of other major league teams have, and that's due to a lot of, you know, a lot of trading being done, a lot of failed picks um, in the past, and a lot of, you know, just a lot of mismanagement, truly mismanagement of the farm system. Um, That being said, what's really fascinating is that I think the Phillies are now... Uh, they've righted the ship a little bit in terms of the farm system. They are, they are middle of the road. They are probably the 15th to 20th best, best system uh, in, the, in all of the major leagues. And while obviously that's not that impressive, you know, I'll take, you know, three guys in the, I don't really like going judging systems by their top end talent, but like three guys in the top 100 and then a bunch of guys below that that could break out, could do something special, could be big trade pieces in the next, you know, few years. Um, but what's interesting is that they finally have that, that kind of depth that makes a decent system. They've got these guys that they can put in the bullpen, uh, you know, that they can call up, you know, that throw competitive fastballs that have competitive stuff that you look at and you go, Oh, that guy will actually play major league baseball. Um, they have these, uh, a slew of outfield depth and outfield guys that could work. I mean, Johan Rojas has about as much five-tool capability as any prospect out there. He is electric. Um, now, obviously, there are, you know, a lot of things that need to go right in order for him to succeed, but it's it's the kind of prospect that we really haven't seen out of the Phillies in, in quite some time. Uh, the same can be said for their trio of infielders. I mean, this is probably, like, gibberish for, for any Marlins fan out there, but, like, Alexius Asuahe, um, they've got Jamari Baylor, they've got uh, you Lee, who they just signed out of Taiwan. These are guys with hugely advanced uh, metric-wise portfolios um, that they are kind of, you know, these are prospects that we haven't really seen them go after. Um, They've got really, really excellent topside talent. It's when they need to fill a major league spot with, you know, some kind of defensive replacement, something like that. That's where they usually falter. Um, But that being said, you know, moving on to the painter pick, I – Honestly, at the time, did not like the pick. Um, I really? will be straight up. I'll be straight up with you. I it's a mixture right between some mm, middling reports of his coming out uh, prior to the draft, and also just not having enough information. I mean, we. I, I feel like people forget leading up to that draft, there was very little information about any high school prospect that wasn't super super high profile right so obviously there was some on Painter he was a a highly regarded pick um but you know the reports that we were seeing past that midway point were kind of middle of the road so I I wasn't thrilled I really thought uh they could go for Khalil I would have loved to see them go for Khalil but so also you know I had heard some post-draft I had heard some Not great things about Khalil, too. So I was like, okay, well, where am I now? Like, I was just getting all this different – Share
3: share them with us. I'd love to hear it. No,
2: just, you know, uh, just things regarding maybe – His attitude. Slightly – yes. But also (laughs) – and I I never listen to those things because, look, let's just get to the nitty-gritty of it. Like, a lot of Major League Baseball scouting is done by old white people. So, you know, I I really – and, you know, I'm going to be brash about it. But that's – you know – that's what we know we know this like it a lot of people mistake passion or mistake electricity for attitude yeah. and so like i never listened to that stuff but it was more in the within the hit tool section of things and the, the swing and miss concerns and, and holes in the swing um that made me you know it made me feel a little bit better about not picking you know a consensus top five talent in in the draft um that being said now i look at the painter pick and i'm thrilled um i mean we are looking at a Goliath of a human being who came yeah. to camp and started busting triple digits and showing plus stuff on all of his secondaries that i'm now very very satisfied. Um in fact i i'm kind of uh shocked that he was not picked sooner. Um i mean he's he's really impressed me um especially with what i've i've been hearing from my friends that are down in Clearwater and that, that you know get some get some of that insider stuff and you know always comb the 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 peripheral metrics. So I'm I'm really, really excited uh, that they've finally decided to go in a direction where they're they're viewing topside talent uh, and and high school talent in a way that you're supposed to view those guys. Um, so like you know the Mick Abel pick obviously he turned into you know from a, a 15th overall into now a consensus top fifty talent in the sport. Um, you know, Andrew Painter has already shown up on top 100 prospect lists. He's on baseball Americas, which we're looking at right now. Um, like that is great for someone who was just picked last year. And obviously, again, I don't judge by how many top 100 prospects the team has, but you know, it's this plus the, the information that I've been privy to, um, you know, that, that makes me excited for the direction of the Philly system. You look at this top five and finally, you know, you're seeing some real upside here. Logan Ohapi just had one of the best seasons in all of minor league baseball. I mean, it's just, it's very, very exciting to me. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than, you know, a rebuild is imminent. Uh, that being said, yeah, their window is now. It has yeah. been for the last, last year. year or maybe two. I mean, what are, what are they waiting for to push the chips in? I don't know. Um, why Why are they just, you know, this, this huge market team is just so afraid of the luxury tax. You know, I don't know what they're waiting for, but uh, they can't wait much longer because otherwise they're going to continue to enter seasons with holes, obvious holes in their team. And they're you know, like, they went into last season with Chase Anderson and Matt Moore in the rotation. Like, obviously I had a bit too much confidence in the Philadelphia Phillies. And I was like, oh, obviously they see something here they didn't see anything they didn't see anything except for a guy that we can get for you know four million dollars and a guy we can get for three million dollars that maybe it works but that i don't know what they were thinking but it's i'm feeling a lot better about the state of those things now than i think that i have with dave dombrowski at the helm i mean i was a little afraid because you know dave dombrowski is known for kind of uh making one push and then kind of Backing up and saying, "Okay, let's rebuild," uh, which I hate, but I have been thrilled with the way that he's handled things. I mean, I really have. He's been above and beyond uh, what I expected. And I'm, I'm very excited that he's he's at the head.
3: Yeah, he's a great guy. I got to speak with him briefly in one of the games that I covered at Lone Depot Park. And crazy amount of knowledge
2: oh that guy. Oh my gosh, he's experience. unreal. He's unreal. Yeah.
1: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
3: Yeah. Oh, one guy, one more guy I want to ask you about. I'm going to tell you the player. I want you to tell me overrated or underrated or properly rated. This is Bryce Harper's homie, Bryce and Scott. So
2: the word underrated, but really not by much. I think that, I think he's very properly rated. Um, okay. Okay. I don't think he has, you know, some plus plus hit tool. I don't think he has plus plus power. I don't think he's a plus plus defender. And he's 24. I, I do think he is a solid, solid player. I think that he's one of those guys. He's the kind of guy that they were missing, right? Like He's not going to play plus-plus shortstop. He's not. I'm of the opinion that he's more of a second baseman long-term. But what he is going to do is he's going to hit for, and again, I I hate using this term, but like a solid average because he is. That's what some people like to base their stuff on. What's really interesting, what's fascinating is I do think the I is plus. And I think that that is going to determine where the rest of his tools project. I think of him very much as a Jonathan India type. Um, Um, And obviously, Jonathan India just broke like every expectation that was ever set for him. I mean, he just won Rookie of the Year. He had a fantastic season. He played all over the place. I mean, he was fantastic, right? But when you compare his Rookie of the Year season to other Rookie of the Year seasons, you know, it was like it was good. You know, it was, a, it was a solid, solid season. It was really good, but it was solid from, from most aspects, right? Bryson Stott is a guy that I view like that. He's going to put up a really solid – he's got a good glove, especially if you're putting him at second base. He's going to put up a great on-base percentage. He's a guy that eventually you could probably put at the top of your lineup. He's going to put up a really solid, like, 270-plus average, um, you know, give you 15 to 20 home runs, um but if you put him at the top of that lineup he could score you know 80 to uh, maybe 90 100 runs because he gets on base so often um mm-hmm. so it's going to be really interesting to see how his eye translates to to the major leagues but i mean that eye this year was unbelievable yeah. it's actually it's a trend that i'm actually starting to notice within the philly system which i'm kind of fascinated by because they have not been this way um but a lot of their top prospects have developed really good eyes. Logan Ohapi walked more than he struck out in the Arizona Fall League. So did Bryson Stott. Um, I mean, Johan Rojas, Alexis Suaje, both cut down on their strikeout rates significantly. Um, I mean, we're talking about really, really uh, exciting development from the farm system. But Stott, definitely underrated because he's sitting at the bottom of a lot of top 100 prospects yep. lists.
3: He's in the nineties of a few. He will, a few. Be,
2: he will be a pretty good major leaguer, but he wa- he's not going to be like a consistent every year all-star, you know, but he's, he's going to be a good major leaguer. He is.
0: I love Bryson Stott. I was, I was going to ask you about him. Isaac took the guy I wanted to ask, but going <laughs> quickly back to the, um, the Mar- the Phillies, it, it, it kind of looks into the Marlins when you say pushing chips. Now's when the Marlins are starting to push them in a little bit more. You see the signing of Abi Garcia, the trade with Jacob Stallings, Joey Wendell, which was a, a good trade. But we, we, we have, I me and Isaac have our opinion with it, with, with what we David gave up. Price, yeah, but yeah. Um, last thing I want to ask you, Jimmy Rollins. Uh, I think Isaac mentioned this that he voted for Jimmy Rollins on the Hall of Fame ballot quickly like, oh, i don't I'm actually sure. have
2: a ballot by the way i don't have a ballot it was you just a, mo- yeah. it was a mock ballot it was a mock ballot right no, yeah, before, yeah. You, get get to, before well.
3: you get to jimmy rolls it's like do the obvious Barry bonds clemens yeah i was, I was gonna there. ask
0: him that first before we before we got into any ballot because i don't think we've even mentioned this on unfiltered about any no. ballots no. So, so, talk, as you all know david ortiz is the lo- the only guy who got into the hall of fame horrible first of all congrats to david ortiz great guy one of the best DHs of all time, maybe the best DH of all time. But Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not getting in is what's horrible about this. It's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall – I could call it the Hall of Shame right now. That's what it feels oh, like. But I'll let you go first, Alex. What are your thoughts on, you know, the, this – it's kind of – pretty bad overall. I don't know what else
2: to say. It's hard for me because I am – I'm a little wishy-washy on this. Um, I am a guy who very strongly believes in the character clause. I do. But I believe in the character clause to the degree where you, you know, if you are a genuinely bad person, not if you just don't want to talk to media, not if you just if you're a genuinely bad person, you don't belong in the Hall of Fame. If you are just rude to the media, like, suck it up, BBWAA. Like, so what? I mean, these these are the two of the greatest players to ever do it. And steroids or not, Barry Bonds, especially and Roger Clemens, both of them steroids are not these are guys that were absurd at baseball either way. Roger Clemens used it to elongate his career. Who cares? He was a Hall of Famer a shoe in before that. Barry Bonds used it to in the steroid era to make an amazing player, an unbeatable player. I mean, he legitimately before that he was a mix of of ex, like a little bit of pop, like pretty solid pop, great speed, great defense and you know, having this insane eye that nobody could ever get anything past. Then he turned into the most prolific power hitter of all time. And that's when things started to get a little bit dicey. But either way, the guy was a Hall of Famer, a shoe in a shoe in before the steroids. So I just don't, I don't understand. And also we're, we're, we're missing the point. David Ortiz failed a steroid test. We are, we, we are, we are missing this here. Like, and, and it obviously is. it's that's not being missed. Right. A lot of, a lot of people know this, Um, but you know, I just, I can't, I can't fathom why, aside from he was mean to reporters, uh, Barry Bonds and Roger, Cle- I can't fathom why Roger Clemens is not in the Hall of Fame, but I can even further not fathom why Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, how are you going to have a hall of the best players to ever exist and not put the best player to ever exist in that hall?
3: Of course. No, I'm I'm totally with you. I think it was just, like, it really showed the inconsistencies and, like, now it's just delegitimized in a myriad of different ways another guy i want to ask you, you said you know you are a proponent of keeping good guys in there not just being mean to the bbwa writers
2: manny ramirez not on your ballot kind of an asshole thoughts my only thought is i didn't vote for him because it's not his last year on the ballot that is he, that he is needs it. to
3: be in there eventually that exactly
2: i completely agree i mean i even said this in the tweet that i tweeted the ballot out with i would vote for alex rodriguez manny ramirez um, if it weren't his last year on the ballot, I would have voted for Sammy Sosa down the down the way. He was just he was a cut. I mean, I could I could not afford to cut I anybody else. Have voted Sammy um, Sosa. I'd I'd vote for Gary Sheffield down the line. Um, but the one person you know I, I would not vote for is Kurt Schilling. Not only did he come out and say you know Hey, I uh, and you know as a Phillies fan, obviously you would think oh you want to vote the Phillies in? Hell no. Um, you know he asked I, you not to. He he asked us he not to, and he also just happens to be like. A terrible person. So, you know, I, 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 I could not in good conscience put somebody like that into a Hall of Fame vote. Um, that being said, you know, guys like Bobby Abreu, guys like Todd Helton need uh, more yeah. people in their corner. I mean, it, it's unbelievable that guys like this are not getting the consideration that they deserve. Especially when you consider the fact that Todd Helton, everybody's like, oh, of course, of course, of course. Dude has like one of the best away OPSs. Of any Hall of Famer in the entire Hall of Fame. Like, I don't understand how you just how, – how you can be this blind. It's like – and it's just it's just because we have a lot of members of the BBWA that get ballots that don't really uh, – you know, they saw these guys with their eyes and they didn't think they were that good. So they're like, eh, you know, we're not going to vote that guy in. I, just, I it makes me burn. It makes me burn. And the same can be said, by the way, about Dick Allen. I am exceedingly upset that Dick Allen was not voted into the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee because if you compare David Ortiz and Dick Allen's stat lines back-to-back, Dick Allen being a notoriously bad defender, by the way, Dick Allen not only has more wins above replacement than David Ortiz ever did, Dick Allen, the only thing that he doesn't beat David Ortiz in is home runs. That's it. And we're talking about two completely different eras of baseball here. So, I mean, it's just it's a joke at this point. You're right. It's the Hall of Shame. It it is an absolute joke at this point. I don't I don't understand why this is allowed to happen and why we have to just wait for 10 years down the line for the or it's not even 10 years, it's more than that, for the veterans committee to decide, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess this guy deserves to be in." And <laughs> yeah. it, and that's a that's a pool of veterans. People that, you know, are probably at the same mindset of all of these baseball writers right now. So, it's, it's very unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Yeah,
0: before we start comparing Marlins and Phillies here, uh, I think our ballots are exactly the same. The only difference is I, I put Gary instead of Todd Helton. That's my oh, only difference. Oh, well, I did it because he's a Marlin, you know, not also... Just let let's make this clear. We'll clear. talk,
2: we'll talk about it. we we'll, I'll show yeah, yeah. you. I'll I have like a, a secret folder of Todd Helton stats that I'll just I'll spill them all over a desk of yours and we'll talk about it.
0: Yeah, and the only other thing I want to say is I'm 17, so I've barely watched any of these guys. So okay, that's fair. I, I that's do fair. have the excuse of that. I, I've always said every time I've talked about it. You're only seven years game,
2: younger than me. It's not that great of an excuse.
1: Uh,
0: the only guys <laughs> I really know about are, are Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, well of course all, all those guys and Big Poppy, who obviously should have gotten in. You're gonna pass this time. I'll I'll pass this time. And now let's get into comparing. I think this is gonna go by quick as the Phillies do have some four superior players of the Marlins. Going to starting pitching, the Marlins. I think we could agree it's Sandy, then Pablo, Trevor. Who do you think is the fourth guy, Isaac? Would he go, Eddie? Cabrera? Luzardo's gonna
3: at one of those two spots. Luzardo will be fourth or fifth. And I think if Edward has a great showing in spring, yeah, you gotta. You know, it's not gonna be six though. And it's you not. know Meyer's gonna start off in AAA as well. And he could be first up. He could be first up in May if you know someone goes down. So I think it's going to be Luzardo or Edward. Assuming Eliezer Hernandez is gone, which I would assume he would be. If he's not, yeah. Eliezer will probably be the number five or four starter. So I would say, yeah. that's. that's I haven't heard one. that. Okay. Yeah. We, we, okay. We're Eliezer. yeah we, we, okay. Eliezer. Those really – um, have really blossomed into a nice piece. I could see Eliezer in the bullpen too. That two-pitch yeah. mix could really be a solid seventh-inning option. So it would be, like you said, those that three-headed monster followed by Luzardo for sure and Edward. And damn, that's a, that's a sexy rotation. Me,
0: me and Isaac are the believers that the Marlins should trade Eliezer. And I think I mentioned Toronto as one option. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what's Definitely. your starting pitching? I know you have Aaron Nola in there and then obviously – so the, the
2: order of this is where some people get a little bit dicey, but I think I think the way that I would break it down is Zach Wheeler, Aaron uh, Nola, you know, two very, very <laughs> impressive options. Uh, Ranger Suarez, which who knows what is uh, is going on there. Uh, it, it could be completely legitimate that we saw him, you know, throw one of the greatest seasons of all time. Or... You know, it could just be a, a blip in the radar, but uh, I'm of the believer that uh, you know, I think Ranger is a perfectly good mid rotation option. He's no ace, but he's, I think he's gonna you know give you a solid mid threes ERA, um, and he's gonna be a, a quality starter for for years to come. I'm really really excited about that. Um, then, which this chart is not showing, uh, Zach Eflin, who is unfortunately sidelined uh, until about June, uh, with oh I can't remember. It's too long, too long ago. Uh, but he's sidelined until June uh, with an injury, uh, and then Kyle Gibson uh, at the back end with options in AAA. A. Um, it's actually kind of kind of interesting. Uh, Bailey Falter, who was pitching in the uh, the major league bullpen last year, is definitely an option uh, to start. I mean, he had a really really good showing last year. Uh, maybe like two or three blow up outings that really inflated his statistics, but um, he he is excellent. He's that guy. Uh, you might have heard is he has like a 14 inch stride off the diamond or off the mound excuse me uh so he's coming at uh every player you know way closer than any other major league starter by about two inches three inches it's does pretty he jump insane. off like
3: carter caps as well
2: no i wish be oh, so, but his oh, leg does, his leg swings around it's pretty sweet um so uh you know he's he's a good piece of pitching depth uh hans Krauss is also you know one of yeah. the um, he's not in my top five, uh, prospects, but he's, he's within the top 10, probably, um, depending on who you ask. Um, you know, he's obviously, uh, a piece of starting pitching depth that they can look to. Um, and then, you know, there's also guys like Jojo Romero, who is also hurt, but they were looking to maybe transition him, uh, last year. Um, he's coming off Tommy John surgery. And there's also James MacArthur, who they just protected on their 40 man roster. Who's going to start in AAA, but could certainly see. The spots start here or there and he's really exciting he's got like one of the best curveballs he's got the best curveball in the system um, so you know at least a good two pitch mix going on there um, so they have a little bit more starting pitching depth than they have now granted that is not an Edward Cabrera or you know anything close to that uh, but it's it's something.
0: Yeah. So, so we could come to the agreement that the Marlins take this one when it comes to starting pitching,
2: or I think when it comes pitch? when it comes to top end, I think the Phillies having a, a Zach Wheeler and an Aaron Nola one two. I think it's really a tough. It's close. I mean, Sandy is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but also you know, and I I hate to say this because I do think he's fantastic slightly unproven as of yet. He's Sandy? going to be, he's going Sandy? to be great. Sandy, he's going to be great. Wait, wait. Going wait, to be wait. great. But it's so he's good, right? He is. He is great. But is he is he he's proven it, man? I wouldn't I wouldn't put him at the ace status yet, right? Same way I wouldn't put Aaron Nola there, right? Aaron Nola, I mean, we're talking about one of the the leading pitchers in WAR yeah. over the last 3 years. Wouldn't put it exactly. In, I wouldn't, I would put them um, both at
3: aces. They're both, it's a 100.
2: really, it's a really close, close margin, right? It's a fine line. Uh, but okay, <laughs> okay, don't you dare, don't you YouTube dare. No, no, Jeez. no, no, unproven Alex. as an ace, unproven as an ace, unproven no, as an he's ace. The whereas, ace the whereas, he's the ace of the yes, rotation, yes, he is the ace of the Marlins rotation. He's great, he is, but he's, I don't think he's as good as Zach Wheeler, right? Like, do we. If we are I matching exactly, that, like that's a good
0: case. You can make that case. Because right? they're similar pictures.
2: I should have led pitchers. with that. I should have led with that. The top of the Phillies' rotation, probably, you know, it's it's a be, it's a more existing argument than comparing the the list of depth, right? right. If we're talking okay. about overall rotation and like depth and you know ways and creative ways that you can fill those spots, should something unforeseen happen? the so Marlins take the cake by three hundred miles. But if we're talking about like, you know, yeah. the, the no, major best league three five, series. Yeah. yeah best three the, series. Right. So it depends right on what you're going to get out of Rangers Suarez in that situation. I mean, Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara versus Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. It's hard to say. But it if is. we're talking about the overall, the overall rotations, the Marlins definitely take it. Yeah, for sure. That's where okay. I'll, that's where I'll put that one.
0: And now we're going to move on to the bullpen.
3: I can't
2: believe I'm being taken out of context.
0: I'm going to label this
3: one as Daniel <laughs> Contra. Unproven, question mark? No, don't. I, I don't
0: <laughs> I think that's don't. a good title.
3: I don't need it. I mean, through 197 innings in
2: 2019, bro. I don't need it. I don't need it.
0: All right, it's moving like, on. Really to
3: 200-200 this year, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. He so was on top. Though. And they're sim- it's fun to compare them because they are similar pitchers. They have, like, the oh, totally. totally.
2: They really are. Well, I think and, Sa- Sandy Sandy has wicked, wicked – movement, whereas I think Zach just has probably Rides better a command. Yeah, exactly. um, but I, I think that Sa- the way that Sandy tunnels his, his four seam or is it, he, throw, he throws like a sinker, pretty much, like a power a sinker. sinker. Yeah. Um, but uh, the know. way that he tunnels the sinker and the changeup is just stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. It's so, oh my gosh, I love watching him pitch. Like, don't get me wrong, I love Sandy Alcantara, but I'm talking like, you know, track record, so to speak. Like, if we're looking purely on paper, you know what I'm saying?
0: Well, when you look on paper, every season he's gotten better. And
2: you know, he you're, totally, you're totally right. You're totally right. But we know baseball is weird, right? So it's, yeah, it's just one of those th- not unproven, not unproven. That was the wrong word. But I've, don't blast me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Moving on to the next uh position, bullpen. I think it's pretty bad for both teams when you look yeah. at it. Uh, maybe I think I, I would say one's better than another, obviously, in my opinion. But I mean, what what are we gonna go with here? We we have Anthony Bass, we have Anthony Bender, Dylan Floro, Zach Pop. Uh, I would I would put Jordan Holloway in there. He he mainly pitched in the bullpen this season. Lewis Head, Lewis Head, who was recently acquired, Richard oh, Blyer, yeah. and,
2: and uh, Richard Blyer. And then who do you have for your Phillies, Alex? So it's really hard to say because the Phillies actually you know they they churned through most of their bullpen. Most of their bullpen is gone, so yeah. they're obviously going to fill those holes. Um, I'm I'm thinking they're probably going to go after somebody like you know they need a lefty so like jake diekman could make a return um you they know like they yeah. could go after like diekman, Chase and yeah. shrieve or somebody like that um but there's also you know there are guys out there like ryan tapera who they could really use they need setup guys that's the ultimate thing the four guys that they have right now though in knabel uh kunrod alvarez and uh and brogdon i mean connor brogdon if you take out his outing against San Francisco, where Joe Girardi literally put him on a clothesline and just said, here, beat up my pitcher. Um, you know, he had, he had a sub, a sub two five ERA, I think. No, sub two six. It was like 2.57, something like that. Um, he was fabulous. I mean, he is really, really good. He could be the closer somewhere down the line. Um, but right now he's not quite ready. Just, I love him. He has an eclectic mix of pitches. He's really, really great. i I'm a huge fan. Um, you look at Jose Alvarez, and you're like, uh oh, it kind of depends on what day you catch him. But, you know, it's always nice to have that kind of guy to throw in against lefties. Um, and then you look at Sam Coonrod, and he was ballistic at the start of the season. He was unhittable, um, you know, obviously got hurt twice, uh, and that kind of slowed down his pace a little bit, and then Knievel. So, I mean, it's hard to judge this current iteration of the Phillies bullpen. Right. This might be yeah. one that we have to revisit, but I think it's fair to say it's a pretty dire situation for both teams at the moment. Um, so, they're both going to have to make some moves to address it. I, I, I would label this one as a to be determined. And you're referring
3: yeah. to Alvarado, right? Not, I or Jose Alvarez,
2: the San Francisco Giants, who was a Philly two years ago. Yes. Um, yes, I'm, re- Jose I'm Alvarado. referring to Jose Alvarado. Can you tell we've been we've been locked out? Uh, the, for, the one you know, that,
3: that Jazz tomahawked out of
2: there in the eighth. Oh, game. yeah, man. Dude, which I will never <laughs> understand because. We, you literally saw him two days ago hit Jacob Degrom for 400 feet uh, on a on a high 100 mile an hour fastball. Why are you calling 100 mile lot. an hour fastballs on Chas Chisholm? I don't understand. Anyway, I'm not gonna. I, 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 I I'm not the rehashing pretty, these things.
0: The Marlins beat him down pretty hard this year, from what I remember at least. It was in oh, the in that, yeah, in yeah.
2: The I, I mean, he was he was not good this year. I, well, he was he was fine. Too many walks. Too many walks, and that's just gonna be his undoing all the time. But that's the interesting thing. the Phillies have actually done pretty well with taking these guys that are very sporadic with their command, and they've done really well to rein them in. Uh, so that's what they've done with Alvarado, that's what they've done with Kunrad. Um, you know I'm hoping that's maybe what they'll do with canable. Um, so we'll see it's gonna be, it's going to be really interesting.
3: Well, you know the next one that we're going to talk about I guess is. Well, he says, first. I want to talk about catcher with you. It's just landslide. Congratulations. You're welcome. You're welcome for developing a shortstop into a catcher. You know, we'll take Sixo Sanchez off your hands. JT Romuto, <laughs> I'm sure you're aware. Marlon's traded for Jacob Stallings in the offseason. Yes. They, they had to upgrade what they had in Sandy Leone and Jorge Alfaro. And they had some, they had Nick Fortez, a couple of homegrown guys in Nick Fortez. Uh, Payne Henry was traded for, for John Curtis. Craig the- Mish's
2: favorite guy, Nick Fortez nick fortes oh,
3: he, he impressed me homer every <laughs> bat that he had in like seven at-bats he had five of them shocker um so you know the depth is a lot better than it was a year ago because they they really had to go to chad wallach and sandy leon went yeah. out. so it has gotten better you have the best catcher in all of major league baseball maybe besides salvador but i would still go with jt the athleticism is impeccable i even
2: say yasmani grandal might be better than Gr- we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll call a spade a spade he's really good
3: all Right. So your thoughts on your catcher position, obviously it's as solidified as anyone in Major League Baseball. He did have a little bit of a down year, like you said. It wasn't his JT Real Mutual All-Star season, but he was still one of the best catchers in baseball.
2: Yeah, another guy that you just really hope Kevin Long can just help lift that ball. Um, you know, he was hitting everything on the ground seemingly towards the end of the season, uh, which we've learned is is definitely a microcosm of, of Joe Dillon. Um, so... You know, it is what it is, but I'm excited to see what Kevin Long can do for all of these guys that have just been really ground ball centric uh, these last couple of years. Um, but, you know, JT obviously is always just going to give you great defense. Um, yeah. I'm really excited about actually the, the the backup catcher that they acquired in, acquired in Garrett Stubbs. Um, yeah. Stubbs has a really good glove. He's a really good guy. Um, good arm. Uh, you know, the hit tool remains to be seen, uh, but it was – pretty decent in the minors. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to have, you know, a pre-arb guy behind the plate um, just in case, you know, JT can't hack it. Uh, Donnie Sands waiting in the wings. Logan Ohoppy waiting in the wings. Raphael Marchand waiting in the wings who, you know, he's probably going to see a trade. Uh, we'll see. I, I think that that's probably the one prospect they really have up on the block right now. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's really, um, you know, their catching battery is, is in good shape for sure for the next couple of years.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. And then we'll go from you know we'll go in order from catcher to first base. Reese Hoskins, absolute stud. He's been proving it forever. Has immense power. Miami has like a weird revolving door situation. Jesus Aguilar got most of the starts at first base. You know you're familiar. All with those Aguilar. RBIs. And you know and uh, yeah, wow. He was leading the league in, in RBIs. Him and Duvall were neck and neck in RBIs all season long. Aguilar, he Tampa Bay designated him, and Miami picked him up, and he really impressed us in 2020. Had another great year in 2021 you see him MVP get, two years in a row. You're, you're gonna assume he's gonna get most of the ABs at first base. Garrett Cooper's gonna get a few at bats, and then the Marlins have a top Lewin top three. Yeah. First base Someone <laughs> I'm very fond of. Yes, very sir. handsome guy, Leywin Diaz. Your thoughts on the two teams with their first base situation.
2: First of all, I love Lewin. I think yeah, that he I, too. I told he's I pay good. I pay a lot of attention to to the Marlins system. So I really I love Lewin. I think that he is uh definitely Next big thing offensively coming from Miami for sure. Um, I think that Reese is just—he is the best, horrifically underrated yeah. Uh, yeah. throughout all of the league. And I think that anybody that actually watches baseball and like actually you know uh, can can tell you what Xwoba means or something like that. You know, yeah. could tell you that Reese Hoskins is a is a good baseball player. I mean, any, anybody with eyes. Um, but there, for whatever reason, he is just continuously harped on uh, in the Philadelphia Phillies community because I don't know why. I, I guess it's just every time he makes a mistake, it's that much more amplified. For whatever reason, people just don't like him. I love him. He is, uh, as my good friend baseball would call, uh, the number one Phillies boy. He is, he is just He's a good dude. He is a fantastic, fantastic uh, leader for the team. And he also is just a fantastic baseball player. Um, so I, I, I would definitely give the Phillies the edge on this one uh, just because Reese has yet to show everybody what he can actually do. Um, but, man, when he, when he is able to get hot and stay healthy, I mean, he's less hot and cold now than he is get hot and then get hurt. Um, so I really can't wait for, for the one year where he really just – he gets to stay healthy the whole year and just absolutely mashes because um, it's coming. It's coming.
0: Yeah, when you look at it, I mean, I don't know what if if Isaac what you what you would say, but at the moment, I think we both agree that Lewin would be the starter, and then we see how DH would work out for Cooper and uh and Aggie, or we have Aggie starting. And well, then no, there. I think
3: I think opening day Aggie's gonna be there. Assuming he's on the ball on wow. the ball, so he, he, no, no, yeah, uh, you know he he played well. I liked what I saw from Lewin. It was a hell of a lot better than what he showed in twenty twenty the big league Definitely. level. He he really struggled. I he did well what- in A too, right? He did yeah. he, he yeah. pretty well for a triple-A. Jesus Sanchez, yeah. the, like – Oh, like,
2: my – I love Jesus Sanchez
3: too, but we'll get there. He's my favorite. he will get it. Oh, day. my God. But yeah. Lewin I think either they're going to start him off at triple-A or maybe – if he is on the roster, maybe he is the opening day first baseman with Aguilar DH. It's That's something that you have to figure out. I know Eli's a proponent of trading one of them. I think something's going to happen where it's going to behoove the Miami Marlins to have all three of them on in spring training. So we're going to have to see where that goes. And, and to, not even
0: – and not just that. Aggie, Aggie and Lewin are pretty injured – aggie and cooper are injury prone we've yeah. seen it cooper got injured in, in philadelphia coincidentally in that game uh aggie got injured as well at some point throughout the season so they had to roll with Lewin. when and then you look miami tried to offer aggie an extension to stay with miami and it was not a good one he declined so it, it, you kind of start noticing that they're trying to keep all these these three first basemen but they're all injury prone so i think that's that's something to keep in mind i personally think they're gonna go Lewin opening day they need to play their young guy wow and they'll go and then they'll use Aggie and and, get, and Garrett Cooper on the DH. Most likely, we'll be getting that in the National League, which is a huge plus for us because we. They seen have to find Garrett a Cooper.
2: way. They got to get Garrett Cooper some starting time.
0: And not well. We saw in 2020 how Garrett Cooper played in DH. So that's so pretty much the only reason why I say Cooper DH. I don't know because injury-prone guys on a baseball field, you you could rotate them. You could obviously change that first baseman every couple of days. It, it, it's 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 a weird. Scenario for the Marlins. You're going in with three very good first basemen. One who's a veteran. who We thought was towards the back end of his career. Many just not not taking a chance on him. In the Marlins took a chance. Cooper, who Baseball America actually hasn't projected to be the DH. In a, I think it was 2025. Then you have a young top five. Whoa. Former top five prospect in Lewin Diaz. Who just keeps impressing us little by little. Incredible 2021. So moving on to second base. We have Jazz Chisholm Jr. Versus we have gene segura so isaac i'll let you take over talk a little bit about jazz and then i want to hear what alex Carr has to say we'll
3: go a little quick we're running out of time a little bit but jazz you know what a great rookie year he had a lot of things he needs to work on obviously a very a very flawed player i don't want to say very flawed but he's you know ultra talented flawed player at the moment defensively a lot of swing and miss um but he's a guy who i'm going to be very excited to see in his sophomore season i expect a, i don't expect a slump from him i expect a little bit of a better season i expect trevor rogers maybe to have a little bit of a slump but jazz we're very lucky to have him. but gene segura talk about consistency with the bat i think i don't know if it was 2021 or 2020 where he had a, a somewhat of a bad year offensively it was yeah.
2: it was uh 2020 well yeah. it wasn't bad it just was not
3: it wasn't you know, Gene segura yeah. but you know with the glove you got to give the edge to, to philadelphia i think here just at, uh, based on the player that jazz is now based on player that gene segura is now i think i gotta give philadelphia the edge here
2: i mean it's what gene turned into after he moved off the shortstop was just i mean it was insane um he is he's got great range uh he's got a he's got such a good arm and it's crazy it looks like he's not even trying when he's throwing the baseball but he has so much time because he just has such a powerful arm he has time to execute the throw it's it's fantastic. Um, he has really developed into a Gold Glove worthy second baseman, which is very exciting, uh, especially when you have the worst infield defense in baseball. Um, but uh, I do think that the 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 bat has also started to improve in terms of impact. He's less a, a slap singles hitter now and more of a an impact extra base hitter. Um, you know he's not some prolific power guy, but uh, you know he's starting to hit the double digits in home runs and and definitely hitting more extra base hits than not. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's turned into and, you know, it's all that leg strength. I mean, that man has some quads for days. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm very, very happy with how the, the Gene Zeguro swap worked out as well. Now it would be nice to have a gold glove shortstop like JP Crawford, uh, you know, uh, in this, in this Phillies iteration of the infield, but we'd take a, a bag of baseballs over at Gregorius right now. at short. So uh, oh, that's not, that's not hard to, that's not hard to say, but, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I I'd, I'd definitely give the Phillies the edge on this one for sure, uh, but not not for long. I mean, Jazz could really usurp that this year with a good season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one.
3: Um, you know, speaking of bad infield, we'll we'll segue over to third base. You know, from four to five. Talking about bad infield, we got Alec Baum playing third. He played some first as well, but he he'd probably be penciled in tentatively as a third baseman. And then you have a really interesting case in Brian Anderson. Love Brian Anderson. 2018-2019, 2019 look like a future all-star. Injuries have derailed him a little bit, had a tough year in 2020, had a tough year again in 2021, ended the season with uh, shoulder surgery again as well, just like six, though. Both of them at their peak, they can both be phenomenal ball players. so I'm going to really give this one up to you, Alex. I, I don't know where it goes. If Alec Bowman is the 2020 version of himself, obviously it's him if he takes Alex, it over. Yeah. Ryan Anderson is the 2019 version of himself, it's him, so your call.
2: I was really hoping the Marlins would non-tender Brian Anderson, uh, so no. that the Phillies could make a play. Uh, no. I, I, I love Brian Anderson so much. I um, do too. And more I than just really his, really. more than just his bat. I mean, he's he's positionally versatile. I mean, he's he's so much fun. I just love that guy. Um, but this is another to be determined one. I think there's just too yeah. many variables in here mm-hmm. to to if Alec Bohm comes back and is any semblance passable at third base, it's a win. Um, same with, you know, if he can add some, 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 you know, fix those swing changes that I talked about earlier. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a toss up here. I really do think so. There's just not enough information. That being said, I do think Alec Bohm will be a very good major league hitter. Um, I just don't know where he's going to play defensively. So I don't think it's, it might not even be fair to put him at third base. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's not even that we have Joey Wendell as well. So maybe That's he right. takes over. BA is also very injury prone. We see it in 2021. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much every year. Uh, let's move on to shortstop. El Capitán Miguel Rojas for the Miami Marlins, and then for the Phillies, it's Didi Gregorius. It's the Marlins. The Marlins. <laughs> oh.
2: You got it. You got it. We got I it. I didn't realize <laughs> how did Didi go down so quickly. It's, been, it's so it's actually really interesting. I'm it's, I'm excited to see how Joey Wendell performs with Miami because that's a, it's a cavernous ballpark, um, and he does not hit the the baseball very hard. Uh, and that is, I mean, that's, that's Didi Gregorius' downfall. Uh, first of all, I mean, obviously he had a really tough bout with COVID, uh, and then the, the whole shoulder situation, uh, with where, you know, I, I, it's pseudo gout, I think was the term that they, that they labeled his shoulder issue with. Um, I don't know. Uh, he is just, he's something else. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's the fact that the combination of have dealing with a really awful, uh, injury a plaguing injury all year uh, yeah. and the fact that he already does not hit the baseball very hard what's really fascinating is that dd showed uh swing and miss quality that he's never showed before yeah. i mean that guy rarely strikes out um at the very least like he would put the bat to the ball and it would be just a dribbler um but he didn't even do that in 2021 so uh, i guess it's to be determined we'll see if they trade him we'll see if they you know throw him over at second base he doesn't have a very good arm so I mean, it's it's really hard to say. Um, But if he, you know, maybe he'll ride the bench uh, because Bryson Stott is right in the wings. So I mean, again, I think that the Phillies could be a bit more competitive in this category if Bryson Stott was the everyday shortstop uh, right now. But that is not the case uh, as of as of yet. So I'm definitely giving the Marlins full full swing on that one.
3: Yeah, I I assume the the defense is still there, albeit with a. You know, not great arm, like a, you know, but I assume the defense is still there, right? Or is it not? Uh, I nope, nope, wow. <laughs> yeah, he, he, right. yeah. I remember we, uh, when he in Arizona, he was phenomenal, yeah, like man. a Dani Echevarria type stuff,
2: yeah. He was, he, I mean, and it's there's something to be said, he's he's older now, you know, he's he's getting there, so it's and you know, with all the shoulder issues that he has had, um, it is fair to say that you know, his his body is breaking down a little bit. You know, he's, he's getting to that point where he doesn't move like he used to and, and, and things like that. So yeah. uh, it's, it's sad to see, but I do, I look, anything can happen when you are a left-handed hitter and citizens Bank park. It is basically like playing in Yankee stadium. Like you, anything can happen. So we will see where he ends up uh, when he is hopefully fully rested and whatever. But uh, I think he's either a bench piece or he's out of here uh yeah. come the start of the season
3: yeah well the last position we're gonna we're gonna digest well, go into is the outfield you know you know though you're your superstar you have Bryce Harper off an MVP caliber season I have an MVP Galliper.
2: season oh.
3: miss <laughs> season. Misspoke. you have Adam Halsley and I guess you have like the guy you mentioned Matt Virling, Bessling so you have yeah, that yeah. Me, and with Miami it's sort of like a to be it's to be announced continued. yeah you have Jesus yeah. Sanders in right field or, now, or left field. You have Abisal Garcia, assuming they, they go another corner outfielder. He might be center. He might be right. But you know you have those two guys starting the outfield for Miami. As of now, it's going to be Brian De La Cruz. But you know Miami's going to get another offensive-minded player for the outfield, whether it's Kyle Schwarber, whether it's Nick Castellanos. Yeah. A little bit of hype between that one. They might trade for someone like Catal Marte. That's to be determined. So I'm sure your thoughts on the outfield. Maybe Philadelphia has another move up their sleeves for the outfield.
2: It's similar for the Phillies. There's a lot of smoke around Philadelphia and Kyle Schwarber. Uh, no, you know, heading man. into don't heading do into that to
0: me. don't do
3: All do right.
2: The no. So there there's a lot. Uh, I mean it's it's to the point where you can almost safely assume uh that it's happening. I mean, it there have been so many uh situations in which you know Phillies personnel has been put in front of a camera and they've said, Oh, you could, you know, you could really use somebody like Kyle Schwarber in the outfield and they go, and like I'm not even kidding like that literally happened they put Kevin Long in front of the camera for MLB Network and they said oh you can put Kyle Schwarber uh, in your lineup he's like no but he I guess he forgot he was on live television I don't know just really really weird um but it's from a lot of places I have heard that that is definitely something that is happening uh they were really hot on his tail uh before the lockout um so we'll see um but you know Adding him to left field gives them a leadoff hitter. Gives them, obviously, a left fielder who's not exactly very well defensively. And it's a inclined, good left
3: field to play in for someone like Schwarber. Yes,
2: it certainly is. That's where the benefit comes in, especially with the arm that he. Has. I mean, he's got a great arm. Just really. He can catch I mean, for you too if you need it. Nope, uh, but he's also he's 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 pretty uh pretty limited mobility wise out there. So. Um, You know, the hope is that if they do get somebody like Schwarber, they can then trade for a center fielder like Kevin Kiermaier or somebody who's, you know, very defensively inclined. So for, it's it's to be determined for the Phillies, too. What's interesting is that Matt Beerling is definitely going to get looks, um, at least in if not in left field and Kyle Schwarber, then DHs, uh, then in center field for sure. Um, yes, I love that. I love Avi. And that. that is
0: that is technically what's projected to be the starting center fielder if Miami does that, add, is, be Kyle Schwerber or Nick Castellanos. Miami, I think, would have one of the worst defensive outfielders in, in the MLB. I th- it may be the worst, honestly. It Kyle Schwarber, Jesus Sanchez, and Alvin Garcia. That would be pretty oh, bad. Well,
2: we didn't even the talk best, about Jesus yeah. Sanchez, though. Yeah, oh. no,
0: you, now that you mention it, I, I did forget.
2: Yeah, there was we a lot of smoke here, yeah. with
3: um with Schwarber and you guys. That yeah. that's, I forget that looked almost imminent it's going to be a 3 year 60 million dollar deal something like so that the,
2: well we'll see i mean that's i'm assuming what's holding everything up i'm I, I think the phillies would probably be willing to go like 5 5 years if it means five getting years? him getting I don't him know. i think getting him at a lower aav is is what their goal is uh they really, really? want to spread that up so if they can get him if they can get him you know 5 at a you know at 70 I think they would absolutely love to do that. Five That's at eighty, maybe. Um, That's no, almost I, I money. I think it's fair. If you look at it, Schwarber, is somebody who made legitimate changes, who made swing path changes, the whole nine. I mean, he's a completely different player than you know the the failed prospect. I guess uh, that you know, and he's also. I mean, you got to look at his his peripheries here. He's in the top you know, 95th percentile of every offensive metric in baseball. He was unbelievable. Yeah, so I love the guy. He's, he's got, and his market is huge because the DH is is probably coming. So, you know, that's going to drive the price up a little bit. That being said, you know, I'm sure whatever team signs him, they will get him for a steal because he's going to well outperform that, that annual average value uh, for quite a while. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I also think if the luxury tax threshold number raises, which is very possible yeah. uh, with CBA no- negotiations, I would not count the Phillies out at all on an infielder. Um, I think that that is something that they might just do anyway uh, if they're looking to go over the luxury tax because they desperately need it. They do not have many infield prospects outside of Bryson Stott, who probably takes over at second base when Gene Segura leaves. So um, I definitely wouldn't count them out on that. But it's it's an interesting outfield situation right now. It could get way better uh, when, when we face down the season. But Matt Veerling is, is making things a little complicated.
3: Oh my god, dude. That yeah, baseball Vermont is so sexy. Oh it's my crazy. god. He's uh and I I mean, what you now. really
2: what you really have to look at? Turn your turn your uh turn your attention to the right side of the screen where you see that spray. Look chart. at that. Imagine that. I see at least like six uh six bits in there that uh were not home runs in, in uh with the nationals that that are probably home runs in Citizens Bank Park. So Yeah, especially
3: the one in left field right there. That's hundred percent home run.
2: Yep. I mean, wow. there's oh yeah, there's there's three in left, there's four in left field, and there's three maybe four in right field and right it's center. Pretty, oh man, you know what? Pretty... Call,
3: call Dave for me. Tell him to stay away from. <laughs> uh,
2: Look, tell Dave, he's got he's got Bryce Harper. Let me get let's see That'll let be him. that would be very very fun. Uh, if they manage to get Kyle Schwarber at the leadoff position, I mean that is. I don't need I don't need my ace
3: Sandy pitching to Schwarber anymore, but
2: and his I mean his OBP, what was his OBP? Three seventy-four? Yeah, I mean come on on base, man. Come on now.
3: An is over nine hundred, that much over
2: nine hundred. He's only twenty nine years old. That's the thing that I feel like a lot of people are just overlooking. Like it's not like he's some old dude on the verge of he's just entering that like prime prime. Like that, you know, where where that power is really gonna start showing. So um
0: dude. I don't
3: know.
2: I'm I'm excited. I'm 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 excited yeah, if that happens. Too. I think that uh I think that also if they what they really need they need two bats. That's what they really need. Um, so whether that happens, you know, in the outfield with a with a left fielder and then maybe you know somebody who splits time, you know, DH and platooning around some some position. Uh, that's something they definitely need. Um, but you know, two bats they need to fill a, a pretty much a whole bullpen um like four four arms of it and don't get me wrong they have guys in in the minors that they can put in there but they only have four of the major leaguers that they had last year uh you know in their system in in 2022 that's pretty crazy um and then they definitely they could use a starting pitcher to fill in for zach eflin but the starting rotation is pretty much the most complete part of the team uh so that's you know saying something i guess yeah, yeah. And that's exactly
0: where we end it. I mean, when you look at it, the Marlins and Phillies—a lot of comparisons we could go to. There is a lot to compare. The starting pitching, as you said, most complete part for the Phillies, definitely is for the Marlins. I would say. Yeah. Now there's a lot of differences. Honestly. The minor league systems are a lot different. Out infield looks different, as you mentioned, Gene Segura better than Jazz, which at, at the moment, yes. So yeah. Uh, any last
2: words, Alex, that you may have for the for the people watching? Just thank yeah. you for having me. Uh, if you guys want to, uh, I know I like to do some watch-alongs on Twitch TV sometimes. So well, if y'all want to, y'all want to come through and and watch a Marlins Phillies game with me, uh, you can do that. I'm I'm on Twitch at uh, take a bulk. Uh, no spaces, no underscores, anything. Just take a bulk. Um, that's the that's something I'm putting a lot of energy into right now. Um, I really love streaming on Twitch, and I haven't been able to do it over the last few months. So i um, I'm really really excited to get that going because uh, my life is finally kind of. Ah, relaxed a little bit. So I'm, you know, all the all the scary COVID things that were presented to me a few months ago are finally fading away. So it's Excellent. it's really really awesome. So uh, come through sometime, check it out. It's a great time. And you can find me on Twitter at Alex Carr MLB. Thank you guys for having me. I I love I always love talking about the Marlins. I love talking you know, to anybody that's affiliated with Fish Stripes and you know even beyond. I I love Craig Mish. I love Danny Alvarez. I love yeah. I love all you guys. So. It's really, this is a pleasure for me. I really, I, I love it. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Alec, um, Isaac, any last words you may have for, for the that people? Very, very
3: big thank you for to you, Alex, for coming out. Yeah. We really appreciate thank the you. time. And what, wow, my, my knowledge of the Phillies has just expanded an <laughs> immense amount. We appreciate the time. You really gave us the best you know interview you could have ever, we could have ever asked for. So we really appreciate the time. We appreciate the kind words. And hey, we'll do this again sometime for sure.
2: Thank you, guys. Can't we, wait. We
0: definitely have to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. From... Uh, Alex, Isaac, Eli, and the producer, uh, and myself, Kevin Barral. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Fish Stripes Live, Tuesday, Jeopardy! edition, 7 p.m. Eastern time. See you guys there, and go fish. We got to end it off
3: right.